Uh, hi, folks. Um, today we're going to check back in with Mary Crooks, the um, CEO of the Victorian Women's Trust, um, on her Together Yes project um, for, for Yes 23. We, we spoke in May when she was just finalising the project, which is basically trying to take kitchen table conversations around the country to um, to to, to uh, to get a yes. So h- hello, Mary. Um, it's been what May, June, July. It's been four. Must be four incredibly busy months for you. Uh, Margot, uh, we haven't stopped, but but I must say they've been fantastic and productive. Uh, and yes, we spoke. I think at the time when the first lot of session materials were being uploaded. Mm. So in that time since, we have had thousands and thousands of kitchen table conversations occurring around every state and territory. Uh, we we had something like 26 information sessions all around the country to start to build that army of conversation hosts. And I'm happy to say that we've sort of lost control of those numbers now because so many of our hosts were so empowered and encouraged by the process of bringing people together that they've gone further and they've done more groups and they've they've even constructed events beyond the kitchen table because the process itself has enabled them to see that they can do this kind of stuff. So it's been very thrilling, actually. And I might add, uh, it's something that the media, the mainstream media, never seems terribly interested in this kind of grassroots community process. They're really only interested in conflictual stuff, in, you know, in conflict and, and adversarialism around community so it's sort of gone unnoticed, our process. It's. I really like that, Mary. Yes, so do I. And, I, I think it's it's just it's it's. I sort of look back on the Independence Day movement at the last election, which was very much the same. Mm. Um, I remember in the last week, the Daily Telegraph ran some, you know, really big piece saying, "Oh my God, in McKellar, there's an army. Sophie Scomps could win." <laughs> Yeah. Whoa! If if you'd actually taken an interest, that was buzzing, and uh, and of course, if they do take an interest, then all the nasty stuff and all the gotchas, you know, and all the finding the splits, mm. it, it's a different. It, it it's sort of in a way, it's necessary that it's under the radar. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I do. But Margot, I'll give you a quick example too. Um, uh, back in February, I had the pleasure of meeting um, a Jewish woman from Sydney called Alona Lee. Uh, she has a, a media company, and she asked if the kitchen table conversation model of ours uh, could be tailored and run through their Shabbat table um, talk, uh, Shabbat custom of having conversations around the dinner table on a Friday night. And I said, of course it can, and I will work with you on that. And she said, well, we, we can't really have mechanical stuff on the table, so we can't be watching film or whatever. I said, that's not a problem. We will simply tailor our session materials so that you can have the transcript, for example, of mm. a short film. So we've done all that and and she used our same web designer with a beautiful website called Shabbat Table Talks. Now, Alona and I shopped that around for three weeks as a great story of partnership around bringing home the yes vote, uh, cross-cultural and so on, and we couldn't get any takers to even profile that as a story. Now, that didn't bother us. We just forged on and, and we've done it. 
But my point is that that's the kind of thing that has gone under the radar in terms of mainstream media. Yeah, I mean, I suppose this is a bit off topic, but um, this is a, such a huge argument for micromedia, for hyper-local media mm. that's actually part of the community and is actually reporting what the community is, is doing. Um, but, you know, in a way, you can get around all that with, you know, newsletters and, I mean... I remember last time we spoke, we spoke about can it, it, it's so obvious that civil society, all the different groups are, are, are um, coming together with the grassroots community to, 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 to literally sort of t t take over from the standard politics. It's, it's not looking very good at the moment, poll-wise, but it is a, um, an a extremely interesting and, and important experiment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, but, you know, I mean, we are up against it in a way. I mean, I've been, you know, I, I force myself to read the Herald Sun each day, for example. Uh, now, you know, the Herald Sun in the space of the last fortnight ran two full-page commentary pieces by Andrew Bolt and Peter Credlin in which they excoriated Marcia Langton. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was so nasty, I actually had the sense in reading it that it was giving them visceral pleasure to be able to attack this woman in the way they mm. did. Now, that's, you know, you have to hope that a lot of Herald Sun readers just have no stomach for that kind of vitriol. You, there are a lot of Herald Sun readers, but you have to hope that a lot of them would read that and have a similar response that I had, which is, this is just shocking. It's, it's so the, really before shocking. before we get into the you know the real politic and everything, um, tell me what the, the the feedback has been. Like last time I uh, we spoke, I, I sort of said, "Oh, gee, you know, having a conversation about race uh, can can be a bit tricky." How is your plan of you know kitchen table conversation? You shut out the noise. You play videos, particularly the one of Jackie Huggins, sort of with her memories of her mum campaigning in 1967, to, to, to get a connection with history and then have a conversation. How has that um, strategy or that, that, that playbook worked in practice? What's, what's the feedback there? It, the feedback has been fantastic. But, but, Margot, it rests on looking at the kind of materials that we very, very carefully um, um, developed for people to use as the basis to their conversation. So these weren't these weren't open ended conversations where people came and then suddenly they all were under pressure to talk for two hours. Mm. They were very much taken hand handheld in the best possible way. So I'll give you an example. Um, we developed this um, set of cards, if you like, call it that. Uh, which was to illustrate the long, long struggle for recognition in this country. Mm. So, so I developed 30 cards, 29 or 30 cards, and the conversation host was asked to put the cards face down in chronological order, but face down. And the group then did a slow reveal of they took it in turns to turn a card up and read what was on it and then put it back down in its chronological order. And so... What people realised, people who even thought they knew a bit about Indigenous history, the standard feedback we got from that one exercise was people saying, I never knew that, oh, my God. Yeah. And yeah. people wrote back to us saying that it was very emotional. 
they actually yeah. had a strong emotional response because, you know, you pick up this card and it reminds people of, say, the Palm Island rights that the families, Indigenous families, were shipped back to the mainland in leg irons. Yeah. That was about 40 years ago. But what, what that slow reveal showed was that Indigenous Australians had been begging and pleading for recognition for 200 years and people didn't know that. They formed a huge connection to that. And so the issue of race or indigeneity was dealt with by being able to form a connection at an intellectual and an emotional level with the, with the historical fact, without going to books, but there within the two hours together, being able to actually, in a concertinated fashion, to gain an understanding that they didn't have before they came to the meeting. It's yeah. been hugely impactful. Um, I'll get to your new project, Women for Yes, in a sec, but when I read your speech in August um, launching that, it really, it really, I, I, I sort of got it, this idea of a, a long, long silence, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm 64 and when I went to school, we had a paragraph at the beginning of our, you know, grade seven history book, which said Aborigines were here, and they, and then 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 white people came and and then history started basically, mm. and sure, there's been enormous um, history reveals over the the last thirty, forty, fifty years, but what's your project project has shown is that that was in its own bubble too. Yes. Most people didn't didn't sort of connect with that. So it's, it's just a fantastic thing to, to, to get people to, to think about it without saying, oh, my God, you know, you're a racist, you don't know our history. You know what I mean? It's, oh. it's, uh, it, it's Margo, a really interesting way of doing it. Margo, that, that speech, I mean, I, I actually think uh, when I went back and, and read Stanner's work last October, November, very, very, very carefully, I, I would have to actually say that it, it's one of the most profound books that I've ever read anyhow. But Stanner's analysis, The Great Australian Silence, The Culture of Forgetfulness, The, the Denialist History, uh, that is still very, very respected by Indigenous leaders. Noel Pearson and Rachel Perkins in their respective Boyer lectures recently uh, drew on Stanner's works. It's not outdated it's still a very, very potent analysis. Um, but the important point about it too, I think, is that uh, it helps you understand the sort of tectonic plates that are scraping against one another in this referendum because Stanner himself conceded that there were good, decent folk who were anguished by the bloodshed and the massacres and the protection and the government control and forcibly removing people onto missions. Um, and you can see that same kind of defensive rebuttal and anguishing uh, playing out in this referendum debate. Um, I think, I think, I'm glad you raised that speech because it's it's been watched a lot of times since the 13th of August. And I'm glad of that because I think it helps people um, uh, get a, a, a framework on what's happening here that you won't get from, from your books. But I'd also say, Margot, that um, you talked about the sort of flourishing of a more open and truthful historiography over the last 
20, 30 years, in part that was stimulated by Stanner's Boyer lectures mm. because mm. historians like Henry Reynolds, he says that Stanner's work was life-changing for him as a professional historian. And so... Since we're speaking about him, give us just give us a, a, a little potted history of um, of of Stanner and 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 just how far ahead he was of his time, and and as you say, uh, inspirational in, yeah. in terms of um, people getting their act together to um, to break the silence. Yeah, well, he he was a towering figure in the anthropological world. Uh, he died in uh, 1981. Uh, he gave the Boyer Lectures in 1968, but his anthropology came from a very different ethical starting point from other anthropologists who were very much imbued with the settler narrative. You know, they were imposing a lens uh, coming from a sort of Western liberal democracy, British colonisation. Uh, the Indigenous people uh, were going to die, so they would smooth the dying pillow type yeah. approach. Stanner... Stanner saw them uh, as being a distinctive, specialised civilization. He didn't see them as some kind of, uh, you know, uncivilised creatures on this dry continent. Well, so an he, animal, really? Yeah, he understood. Really? Yeah. Not, a, not, a, not to be treated as human, really, because and they he, were uncivilised, right. so-called. Yeah, well, and that's what we were imbued with as kids yeah. um, and yeah. so on. Uh, so it, it was really um, largely because he he took a humanistic view to his anthropology, and whereas the other anthropologists saw Indigenous people in a dehumanised fashion, uh, and they were ignorant of the vast and complex civilization that existed here for thousands of generations, whereas he he actually got close to understanding the power and the sophistication of Aboriginal civilization in Australia. So it's a remarkable work and it still stands. It's, as mm. I say, it's not been dated at all. And it does help you understand the kind of schism that, that are showing up now in this referendum debate because... Sorry. No. Oh, sorry, keep going. Yeah, because... Because the you know when when you have when you have non-indigenous people uh, um, uh, being negative and oppositional to the voice, in part that's because they are so imbued with the colonial narrative that they can't entertain any other option of of being able to give indigenous people a platform of being able to have them written into the constitution because they, they come at it from a non-stanner uh, construction of history. Yes, and um, this is getting very off topic, topic but oh. uh, Jacinta Price's press club um, address, I, I thought that, um, that, that, that she was basically um, a denialist about Aboriginal history. It was, a, it was the strangest thing, like, um, all right, well, some of my ancestors, you know, came over from, from the United Kingdom. Were they ripped away? Like, shouldn't I have that? Like, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing having a, a, an Aboriginal person 
as the, the clearly the lead spokesperson for the no, who uh, uh, I, I don't really know how to read her um, or, or or what what she she stands for apart from um, basically in her own way being sort of like Hanson, you know, no special well, benefits treat us the same. What's your reading of, of, ha- of what's going on there? Well, I think uh, I'd make two observations. I mean, clearly she's, you know, entitled to speak her mind, but I find it interesting that the Central Land Council people came out this week uh, very, very expressing their deep, deep disappointment at that analysis because they know, as most Indigenous people know, that the pain and the trauma from dispossession and policies since is still working its way through a lot of Aboriginal people in this country. Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a Carlton football tragic for my sins. I have marvelled at the artistry on the field of someone like Sid Jackson when I was a young woman, number five. But, you know, it took me ages to, and to get beyond the football world to realise that Sid was taken from his mother when he was five. Yeah. He's an old man of 80 uh, and he still carries deep, deep scars from that experience. But, to, Margot, I would say two things in relation to that press club luncheon. I believe the media, the mainstream media, has been really, um, I'd say, uh, weak in its analysis of Senator Price's position uh, in that they focus and amplify her views because she's an Aboriginal woman and they haven't been actually going to show the people that she, in ideological terms, is coming from a fairly hard conservative, hard right-wing position. Um, And so people haven't been exposed to that, that her ideology is very, very consistent with a, a, a hard core Um, right-wing position, which makes those assumptions about Indigenous people, you know, they're not helping themselves, uh, they're not taking responsibility, uh, you know, the fault has nothing to do with us, you know, if government government hasn't failed in its programs, it's because because the other has been at fault. That's a classic right-wing position. But one of the things that was galling to me in watching that press club was seeing seeing people like Michaela Cash and Little Proud and others clapping and cheering and knowing cynically that they could not say that themselves. Yeah. So they yeah. actually have an Indigenous woman vocalise what they are not prepared to say publicly. So I saw that as a fairly manipulative kind of polit- political arrangement, actually. Well, yeah. <laughs> You know, Dutton puts in a, a big proponent of the Voices Aboriginal Affairs spoke, spokesman, um, you know, kicks him in the balls. He has to resign and then puts in a Nat who um, uh, is is running a, um, as you say, a, a very hard right campaign. And I personally, I think that's coming through with Warren Mundine. I mean, he looks tortured to me. Mm. Um, it, he looks as though he's been caught in a vice. Because yes, yes, he's he's right wing, but he does care about his people, yeah. And uh, you know, it's 
the fact that he's got to have to remove people, that he still thinks there should be a treaty, which means he won't get the the, the Senate spot in New South Wales. Uh, it, to me, uh, he, he looks tortured to me. He looks as though he's he's found himself in a position where he there are a lot of people standing with him who he uh, who he believes have no interest in 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 the advancement of the Aboriginal of Aboriginal um, yeah. Margo, uh, one quality of, the, of life. One one of the things moving around Australia as we did in in uh, April May, getting you know enlisting our conversation hosts, is I did have to confront um, quite a few sort of products, if you like, of of sections of our media, such as Sky News. So, for example, I had one woman in a session who was very discombobulated by what we were doing, very edgy and irritated. Uh, and when she got her chance to speak, she said, well, the Uluru statement, she said, it's, it's a hoax. It's been plagiarised from Africa. And I said, oh, woo back. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. Um, so I didn't go there. But I did then my own follow-up research. And I found uh, on, on YouTube there's a video of, of, of a Sky News segment in which Chris Merritt, who's a self-described legal affairs commentator for The Australian, uh, and he, he heads up a body of a small number of people called the Rule of Law Institute, which sounds, has a lot of gravitas, it seems. But Chris Merritt is engaged in a conversation with Alan Jones in which Chris, with his gotcha moment, says the Uluru Statement is a hoax and it has plagiarised uh, around the notion of ancestral lands and sovereignty and Alan Jones says, well, that's shocking, that's scandalous, isn't it? And they both agree that it's a shocking example of plagiarism and a hoax. And the point is that because that goes unchallenged on that Sky News channel, here's a woman as a consumer of that kind of news. She's now got it fixed in her mind that this powerful, first in our, our lifetime statement from Indigenous people has been deemed by a small group of conservatives as a hoax. I mean, it is utterly disrespectful, it's unfounded and it's mischievous, but it's had impact with certain parts of our society. Mm. The other thing I'd say in all of this is uh, where have the anti-vaxxers gone uh, since COVID and how are they now, how is that whole conspiracy Trumpian anti-vax movement featuring in the referendum debate. So a lot of the hard no, in my view, is a coalescing of those very dark Trumpian forces, the checking that, you know, checking that the AEC now saying the AEC itself lacks integrity and is trying to rig the process. I mean, this is what troubles me also about the referendum in that uh, if this kind of Trumpian uh, destruction of democratic institutions and democratic values is not checked, then we can have a genie out of the bottle in this country and it won't be pretty. Well, I've sort of fought fought back on, on Twitter against this idea that it's Trumpian on, on the basis that... Um, does has, 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 has everyone forgotten what happened in the in, in the late nineties with Pauline Hanson? I mean, mm. to me, it's homegrown. It's always been there. 
um, and it's always, you know, waiting for the buttons to be pushed for a lot of the reasons we've been discussing. But I think the Trump type analogy is right in the sense that in ninety in in the late nineties, the 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 uh, uh, democratization of, of of media had had. It, it, it actually started then. I remember on, on election night, 98, in, uh, after following Hanson, uh, her, me, her digital guru, Scott Balson, said to me, uh, I said to him, gee, you're running around, you're reporting on the reporters. He said, you ain't seen nothing yet. And this is where the Trumpy thing comes in because it's now organised. They've now brought their Conservative Action Alliance CPAC to Australia. They've now got a, a, a branch of um, the Turning Point Charlie Kirk students movement over here it's it's internationalized and and the the misinformation and the lies etc are, are just they're, they're doing the rounds of the right-wing media and we're just starting to see the emergence of um silos where that if you if, if you're a right-wing person you only read certain media and if you're left you only read certain media and the 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 centrist media you know, it, it's it it hasn't it hasn't got the right point of view to want to get what the facts are. It's it's uh, I agree with you. It's it's uh, it, it's we're, we're moving aware. down that track. We've got we've got defences. We've got the ABC. We've got compulsory voting. We've got an independent electoral commission and all that. But you can you can see it trying to take off here, can't you? I think the I think when I use the the word Trumpian, and I totally agree with what you've been saying around the Hanson analysis. But to me, the danger is in in um, people brazenly calling particular institutions into question. So to me, when Trump when Trump has been campaigning and still supported by millions of voters to assert that the election is rigged, mm. that the that um, that the process was corrupt. So to me, to actually have people, including the opposition leader, query the integrity of the AEC yeah. is a very disturbing development. And if, we, if we're if not careful, if we don't watch that and stomp all over that, uh, we will see um, a, um, uh, an endorsement, of your li- if you like, of people feeling as though we can't trust institutions like the AEC any longer because some people start saying they've rigged the result. Mm. I think that's really disturbing. Um, so, can, as you know, I'm, I'm particularly interested in the regions. Uh, has there been a, a good spread of KTCs in, in regional and rural areas? Uh, all across the country, regional and regional and urban and suburban, you name it. Um, it's been that's why it's been a, a, a tremendous, tremendously satisfying process and. You know, some people in regions uh, communicated with us saying, you know, it's been a bit tougher because they've come up against, you know, a fair bit of um, conservative pushback, um, but they've persisted. Um, and, you know, I've still got speaking engagements coming out of this, you know, even close by in Victoria, you know, next Monday up at Yay and Monday night in Hillsville. You know, so, so it's not a... Together, yes, process has not been a city-centric or an inner-suburban kind of uh, fulcrum. 
we've been all over the place. We've got all of these thousands and thousands of postcodes where we can where we can show that we've been everywhere, man. Yep. And you'll be doing a report at the end of this, or is, have you got feedback on your website that people can look at? Oh, no, we haven't. But we've got we've logged all the feedback that we've got. Yep. Um, uh, and you know. I mean, there's two bits of feedback that I got even last week. One was from a woman in South Australia saying that she felt nervous at first but realised it was a fairly easy and natural process to do, so she's gone on and done more and the session materials were great. And a, and a guy fed us in last week saying that he loved it because because people brought their best selves to the discussion. Mm. So we've had oodles of feedback as to the efficacy of the mm. process. But we've been so busy with it, Margot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, got, yeah. Um, but the the reason the reason we started the Women for Yes um, initiative it grows out of Together Yes. Yeah. The reason we did that is because because the conversations have been underway the two sessions and we've you know loaded up the two lots of materials. It wasn't as though we were twiddling our thumbs, but it was a case of saying we need to do even more. So what would be the next thing? Now that the sessions are all underway, it, it was a natural tendency for us to say, let's now start to work uh, uh, with women on amplifying their voice in this whole process as well. So the Women for Yes open letter uh, that we constructed, we've now got that in 11 languages. Mm -hmm. You know, We've got that in uh, Serbian and Italian and Greek and Punjabi, and I'm delighted... Uh, so the meeting I'm going to tonight in Geelong, for example, being able to take lots of those copies of open letters in half a dozen of the community languages that are more prolific around the Geelong region. So we're reaching now specifically out to women where English is not their their language spoken at home uh, with the open letter, which I think is a really cogent case for why voting is. Um the, the the idea that you know that the, the conservative uh, well I don't think they are conservatives uh, right wing react whatever you want to call them that the liberals and the nats are officially running a no campaign and are deeply embedded in it whereas labor is officially not embedded with it and is saying it's a, a community movement is is something I've never seen before and I'm just thinking one of the upsides of it and, and it, you know again it, it's sort of it's building on, on the success of the community independence movement is is really organizing a sort of a database for 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 people who are labor green and um uh small l liberals can actually form you know solid and growing community alliances to get together on on certain matters on which they have common ground and we saw that the last election with we need we need an integrity commission and uh and we need some real action on on climate change so the if the country doesn't fall apart on a no there is um some genuine grassroots activity uh, working towards bringing their communities together in 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 a civil way, rather than um, tearing them apart, and and potentially that that is a a powerful aftershock uh, after the yes, and I, referendum. I, 
I, I had always assumed, Margot, in developing the session materials for Together, yes, I had always made the assumption that the quality, the kind of materials we were developing and the intellectual empowerment that was occurring in these sessions as people confronted material uh, and joined the dots and got a deeper sense of connection to the past, I always worked on the assumption that we were addressing short and long-term goals, mm -hmm. that in the short term you'd have people uh, much more uh, empowered and confident to make a decision on where they wanted to land in the referendum, but the kind of learning and the crystallisation that's gone on in a lot of people's minds, that won't stop after referendum day. Mm. That's there now into the long term mm. uh, in terms of supporting relationships and activism and the other thing I would say uh, in my involvement with the Yes23 campaign and uh, with Megan Davis and Pat Anderson and Sally Scales is, is to see the quite extraordinary and inspiring leadership of younger Indigenous men and women coming through. So if the referendum goes down, it, it'll be awful in a whole lot of ways. But you know what? It, it it won't it won't stymie reconciliation in this country. It'll be a huge hiccup, I think. Yeah. But there is so much capacity within Indigenous leadership and so much empathy and goodwill within non-Indigenous communities, you won't be able to keep good people down. It, things will flourish and re-emerge and sprout uh, even though there will be significant negative implications from the no vote cons uh, exceed, uh, succeeding, including a sort of normalisation of the kind of hostility and the, the hate positions that have come through the anti-vaxxer movement, all of that kind of stuff will have been sort of normalised. Vitriol will have been sort of validated. Bigotry will have been given a blessing. Uh, but but they won't have it all their own way into the future. Yes, yeah, so I've noticed, I think even Albanese says this, that, oh, well, think of the, the the Republic referendum. If, you know, 1999, you voted no, and now we'll, you know, we'll never get another chance and the same thing will happen here. I, I actually uh, don't agree with that. Um, I, I don't think that it is possible if, if there's a no vote to say, oh, well, we'll just move on and, and go on to other issues. And, and that... That really came through with that, um, what would you call it, disastrous attempt by by Dutton to say, oh, we'll vote no to this one and we'll give you another one when we get in. And everyone went, oh, and it'll just be, you know, we acknowledge that, Aborigine, that Aboriginal peoples were the first Australians. And, I mean, uh, that that's just ridiculous. Um so I think that there will be there will be movement. There there has to be movement. And one thing, as you say, I think Noel Pearson and Marcia Langton said, if if this goes down, we'll we'll step back. We've we've, you know, our generation's done its bit, and the young will come up. The fear I have, apart from you know, obviously, very depressing for 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 Indigenous Australians, but that uh, there might be a radicalisation among young leaders and to seek uh, more extreme methods. Um, but but it sounds like you're feeling that the younger generation is is ready to um, to, to to be positive and to to keep going. 
um, in okay. in a in a in a uh, in a way that um, you know is not um, too radical. I've I've seen I've seen tremendous leadership coming through the ranks, uh, and I guess what I'm saying is I think I think that in the non-indigenous um, minds there is I think a tremendous appetite to push the reconciliation movement uh, at a a, uh, rate of knots in the years to come. So I think think that um, it's not all bleak and gloomy in that regard, but I have to say um, I'm not thinking too much about that right now because I still believe uh, three weeks out uh, that the referendum is winnable. I still believe that, and I don't think I'm being myopic about that. Uh, I've been reasonably okay at following political trends over the years, uh, and I think that young people and women hold the key to delivering the yes vote. So, And I believe that there's no point being dispirited or sad over the next three weeks because if you go there, your energies go there, and what we should be doing on the... 15th of October is asking ourselves, did we do everything that we could do to bring it home? Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's a conversation after conversation over the next three weeks, critical. Yeah. So I don't want to sort of dwell too much on, on this, but um, when we spoke in March, um, it, it was clear that the... the uh, it had taken a very long time for for the yes or the various different yes groups to get sacked together and start. And I've been thinking, whoa! I mean, really, you know, you'd want to get these groups together and uh, across Australia uh, 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 sooner. It, yeah. But but I could yeah. completely understand that the whole thing was just this mass of community groups and this and that, and somehow it all had to come come together what's your feeling about um about that because the 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 problem was that that no had its you know typical ugly you know no 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 that and they 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 seem to flood the zone early um you said in a an interview i think um in december last year people think there's a void but the void is actually people getting ready It, it did seem to take a long time to get ready could could you go through well, what happened there no you're, you're absolutely right uh because when albanese announced that they would hold a referendum in their first term in may last year uh that enabled the oppositional forces to just start pouring um pouring oil on it um so i i mean when the referendum is over I will have personally and my office, we will have been on it for 14 months, Mm. uh, not five weeks. And I guess the point is that it's not as though the Yes campaign has been uh, slow. It's been the enormity of being able to build a national community campaign, which was launched in February. I think Yes 23 had a staff of seven then, and I think they've got a staff of 70 as we speak. So they've had to build the infrastructure for the campaign. And for us even to go around the country in 
end of March and April and early May holding the community information sessions, the logistical work that was necessary to get bums on seats was enormous. But what I would say is that it, it actually shows ironically the difference between the two campaigns in that the Yes campaign is about respectful listening and trying to actually um, develop the kind of empathy and understanding necessary to accept that proposition for constitutional change and a voice to parliament. Um, it's so much easier just to be a no, uh, a no voter and to be a, a protagonist, a no protagonist, because all you've got to do is say stuff that is negative. You don't have to do any community work. You don't even have to assemble door knocking teams. You can you you will be assembling phone banks because there was an example for um, last week. Uh, one of the women I'm working with, her old Greek mum was phoned last weekend and asked, did she have a backyard? Now, Margot, you mightn't believe this to be the case. Oh. Did she have a backyard? Oh. And 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 Maria's mum said, yes, I do. Why? And the voice said, well, if you're voting yes, they will come and take your backyard from you. Now, this is classic. This goes back to the Marbo playbook. It's the same tactics. But... Thankfully, in this case, Maria's dear old mum said, well, I've got a big backyard, so if everybody wants to come and use it, then they can. Um, She was the same same elderly Greek mum who, when she migrated to Australia and copped racism from people here for being a Greek migrant and was told to go back home, this barely uh, uneducated old Greek mum said back then, well, if I have to go back home, you're going to come with me because this is you don't own this place either. Um, but my point is that the No campaign has been able to be effective in terms of logistics and infrastructure because they don't need a lot of the kind of infrastructure you need for community, community building and a community campaign. They All they have to do is make destructive statements and destructive comments uh, and sound really, you know, authoritative, even if it's misinformation. So so they've got a, they've got a different task and a different workload. So, so back in May, you said, okay, with the same-sex marriage survey, um, after some negative no campaigning, uh, the proportion of yes dropped and we can't afford for that to happen in this debate. Now, it has happened. Um, When we last spoke, it was 54, yes. It's now 41, yes. But you still believe that it is winnable and that we can break the historical certainty that non-bipartisan proposals don't get up. So could you explain why you think that this campaign will break the iron law of our referendum history? Oh, there's a number of, and I, I did say that, uh, and the support for the yes, uh, for the same-sex marriage proposition uh, dropped, I think, from memory, about 10%, from about 70 to about 60. Yeah. So it, it had a, a drop as well. Um, but I, I think there's a very 
um, a very complex mix of who will vote yes and who will vote no. Mm. So when you talk about Dutton, for example, I know on good authority that there is a significant percentage of Liberal voters and women in particular who are very disconcerted by his stance yes. and they will not vote no. So so you've, you can't just say that Liberal and National Party voters will vote no. Many will, but a lot won't. Yeah, but we'll get across. And, but, but Mary, you know, the polling's showing that some Labor voters are moving to no. I mean, you, you can see the big picture of what, what Dutton's trying to do. But that's what I mean. He's trying to, he's trying to go I'm, hard right and, and go for the, you know, the outer suburbs and yep. the regions in the bush, and he's, you know, he is basically said, "All right, yeah, 2022 was a realign election. We don't, we don't want to win back the seats that are full of smaller liberals." And I guess uh, no, so. It's, 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 it's. This is to me is almost a full stop on the realignment. Dutton said, "Yep, goodbye." You know, rich blue ribbon oh, yeah. seats. We're, we're going hard, and it, it's got shades of Howard. It's got shades of of Trump. You know, it's got. It, it's old and it's it's coming back. D- do you agree with that? No, um, okay. to a point. But I, I guess what I'm saying is that, and I think this goes to the my my hunch as to why the polls are not reliable, uh, because what I'm what I was saying is that you can. It's much more nuanced in terms of the pockets of those who. Yes, uh, there's a percentage of people who would commonly vote Labor who are not going to vote yes more's the pity. Um, But there are groups of moderate and more small-c conservative liberals and National Party who will vote yes. Yes. And and there'll be the younger cohort from 18 to 35 who are more likely to vote yes than no. There are men in their 50s, 55 and above who are much more likely to vote no than women women are more likely to vote yes than men. So it's very nuanced. And I think my hunch is that the polling methodology has not been, at methodological levels, not been able to reflect that nuance. That's why I think that it's still winnable because I think the polls are not necessarily giving us a true indication of all those different kinds of ingredients in different parties and whatever. Well, we'll see in a couple of well, weeks. Well, um, but it's the trend, isn't it? It's it's the trend. It's all the different polls with all the different methodologies. They're, they're, they are coming up with the same result at this stage. Margot, I know it's a long time ago, but when we first ran our kitchen table model under the Kennett era, in 1999, Jeff Kennett went to the polls about this time of the year yeah in what all the media, all the Liberals, all the Labor in opposition thought was totally unlosable. And he lost that election. And then there was all this soul-searching in the media and in Kennett went into a a trough of despond. People were scratching their heads. What on earth happened there? They couldn't explain it. And the reason was because they hadn't read Community Mood. Yeah. They were not able to read it in the polls. Their, metholo- their methodology didn't enable them to capture that mood. And he lost it in large part because regional and Victorian 
Liberal and, and National Party voters resisted, were angry about the privatisation, potential privatisation of water, for example. They misread the mood. Mm. They didn't realise that people were hemorrhaging under their neoliberal policies. They lost the unlosable election. Now, I know that's 25 years ago, but the same principle may well be at work here. Except, Mary, that um, <laughs> on that analysis, um, peop the people in the regions and, and rural were, were worried about a, a particular issue that was of vital importance to themselves, whether, whereas in this referendum, it's basically um, the great majority of the voters, it will make no difference to them at all. You're actually voting yes because you want to give uh, Indigenous Australians a leg up and... I've been very interested that this fair go thing is 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 imbued in in the uh, in the yes campaign. So so in, what 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 you're trying to do is, even though it's not bipartisan, is to say, well, look, let, let's let's do an Australian thing and and, and give the, give them a fair go and give them a the, a, the place at a, a, a place at the table to 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 advise. It's a it's it's it. You know what? What we're looking for is is a moment of transcendence in in, in the Australian voting pattern, which is uh, it, it's a it's a it's a pretty pretty big ask, um, uh, Mary, isn't it? Yes, but, uh, and again, I might might be wrong here, but from the time Peter Dutton announced that they would be voting no and that there'd be no bipartisanship. My sense at that time was that didn't automatically mean mm. that it would shaft it. Mm. That was my sense at the time. Now, again, I may not be reading it mm. um, accurately, but uh, that was my gut sense at the time. So I assume... Uh, and I, sorry. Uh, I just think that the... Um, it's You know, you made a very interesting comment there of, uh, of people not being affected. Um, it... I, I was talking to a, a guy earlier this week. He said he's a publican and he said, what do I say to blokes that come into my front bar who who have bought the line that Aboriginal people are going to come after you and take your backyard or, you know, reparations and whatever? Yeah. And I said, he said, I don't know how to answer that. And I said, well, maybe just say back to them gently, do you remember the Mabo decision and if they say yes or you tell them what it was, just say to them, so tell me how you've been materially impacted mm. on mm. since Mabo mm. because that's exactly going to be the same thing. Mm. There is absolutely no way that uh, your material reality is going to, to be impeded by this decision. You might just end up living in a better country because we start to sort this kind of stuff out. The the other problem is, and we've seen this throughout the campaign, is that the the yes campaign is is um, completely committed. I mean, every, everyone who campaigns under their banner, every grassroots organisation. I'm involved in a little one in Forster, um, in the mid north coast in in New South Wales. They they all have to solemnly sign up to being respectful, not playing the man, um, contesting ideas, not people, um, listening, and all that. This, you know, this community independence type vibe about let's do politics differently. And on the other side, you've got a complete negative campaign when everyone says negative campaigns work. 
Uh, <laughs> and that's the history of working. So you're actually trying to uh, move the, 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 the insight that, that led to the success of the community independence movement in, into turning that into a, an Australia-wide thing. And, of course, the community independents that got elected were pretty homogenous, blue-ribbon, wealthy, inner-city seats. So what we're looking for here is, is, is you know, I've always thought since following Paul Hanson, Pauline Hanson around the country in, in 98 that um, we were two nations and that whatever, whatever I said they were offended by and whatever they said I was offended by, we're, we're trying to say, okay, we can actually break break through this um so if it's a yes it's, it's beyond the miracle i mean australia uh is a is a different country isn't it it's it's a it's something very fundamental has actually been resolved so i i agree and i think what you're pointing to is that there's a much deeper question underpinning the referendum mm. which is Yes, changing the constitution to put Indigenous Australians on the birth certificate of our modern country. Two, it's trying to find a governance mechanism to deal with the serious inequity mm. uh, around health and education and so on so that governments might start to listen and that government policies and programs might start to be better at addressing what's happening at the local level. But the deeper issue underpinning this referendum is it is this tectonic plate idea. It's a struggle between civil society and a rancorous, destructive, socially um, destructive set of forces at work. It is, I think, a quite substantial tectonic struggle between people who want to be a more open and forward-looking country to 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 try and push reconciliation to a much more meaningful level, to reconcile with our troubled past, to be a more mature democracy, outward facing. So this is not a, about high moral ground. This is about two kinds of Australia. So it's not about two kinds of Australia in terms of Indigenous and non-Indigenous. It's actually about a society that's proudly a civil society that is outward facing, that deals with inequities, uh, that tries to actually genuinely operate from a thesis uh, of a fair go? Or is it a society that is moving a little bit more where, where the, the um, as we said earlier, the kind of awful civil strife that America now finds itself in because of Trump, we, we just have to be very careful that we don't let this kind of thing, you know, it's that Joni Mitchell thing of you don't know what you've lost till it's gone. So I, I see there's a deeper issue about who we are as a society underpinning this referendum, I do. And I think I think it, it's a, you know, it is a struggle uh, and it's worth fighting for. It's a funny thing. I, um, I, I did the walk in Tari. Um, which is, I'm in a very, very conservative, safe National Party seat. And, you know, there was about 100 people and they walked across the bridge and walked downtown. It was, you know, quite a few people yelled out no. And, you know, it, was, it wasn't a great feeling. But at the end of the day, I thought, like, this is a town where this stuff just isn't discussed. You know, it's just not. 
um, mm. except in the bar when, you know, a fair bit of stuff is thrown around. And I just thought even, you know, people walking along the street and, and they see this group of people who look very nice, they've got their kids and their dogs, they're, they're marching happily in, you know, in an orderly way. I just thought, well, I reckon, I reckon that'll win a few votes. A few people will go, oh... Actually, I think I might vote yes, that, that that it's not this horrible thing by horrible elites, you know, <laughs> trying to destroy you. It's actually um, it's actually some, some of your neighbours are, are, are voting yes. It's a, uh, it's such a, we've talked about this before, but it's, a, it's such a difficult thing in, in, in the country. Uh, it, it is a very, very difficult thing. And, and I'm completely unsurprised that the, the polling is showing that um, newer Australians – uh, migrant Australians of more multicultural background are for yes, and it's it's the people like you and me, the <laughs> descendants of the Irish and the Scots and the English, that that are uh, more more saying no. And of course, that's that goes back to um, well, it's pretty obvious that the the various psychological and other factors involved involved in that, particularly in the country um, where you know. Farming families have incidents in the past that it's really it's really too difficult to acknowledge. Yeah, and the the truth telling come has to come uh, with within indigenous communities. They need the voice to be able to tell their truth, and the truth telling has to be within the settler narrative too. Of you know, as I, I said the other week, I mean, I it took me for to get to the fifties, my fifties to even know that the Umarella Wars might have gone on in the district that yeah. I had grown up in and been schooled in. Now, I had no idea, and it wasn't my ignorance, it was it was institutional ignorance, yeah. it was our schooling systems. Yeah. And but that's why I think that's why I think going back to Stanner and to his influence on historians like Henry Reynolds and Marilyn Lake and many, many others since that that this is not just about um, academic historians writing books, this is about slowly and surely being able to develop an alternative and a much more honest narrative about who we are as a country. This is why, you know, women like Julianne Schultz with her book, The Idea of Australia, um, a profound book, which, again, predictably attacked by people on the right. Why? Because they don't want any challenge to their denialist view of history. They are so imbued with the settler narrative and with the domination of Western neo-liberalism from the time of settlement that they can't countenance any challenge to that. So, I mean, I think this bodes well for us down the track if we can keep this, uh, you know, um, developing this sense of pride and recognition of being able to, I think I had a, a, you know, a, a revelatory moment, Margot, Many years ago when I was in Sardinia and we travelled up, uh, went to great lengths um, to go to a particular Bronze Age settlement where, you know, we were to pay homage to the fact that this was at least 5,000 years BC and I something clicked in my head when I realised how perverse in a way that here I was paying homage to a 5,000-year-old settlement from a continent which had been managed and uh, occupied with an intricate 
civilization in terms of governance and song lines and uh, law, and th and that I was thinking I had to go overseas to have the experience of ancestral legacy and so on. So I think that tide is clearly turning in this country and that we will get to a point where the majority of Australians in the decades to come understand and learn and want to celebrate with pride the indigeneity that is so much a part of our story. So, you know, when people talk about this introduces race into the oh. Constitution, no, 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 it's about indigeneity uh, and, and the fact that recognition of First Nations people isn't a racial question, it's a question about recognising indigeneity uh, and, the, and the, the first occupation of this, this country. So I'm sort of hopeful in that sense. We'll see what, we have to see what pans out. So to finish off, this Women for, for Yes that you launched in August with that, uh, with that big speech, what are your plans for that apart from open letters in, in several languages? Any, any other, um, anything else on the horizon? Yeah, uh, well, the, uh, in part it's, so on our website, on our Together Yes website, if you hit the button Women for Yes, you can sign it, but also you see the tally. So I think we're up around, you know, in a matter of weeks, about 8,000, closing on 8,000 signatures. Uh, and we have said, for one thing, that we will ensure that um, all of those signatures become part of the archive uh, for this referendum in terms of people who are prepared to mm. sign, mm. have the courage of their convictions. Mm. But what we've also done... Um, with that open letter, which I think is a, I think it's a very cogent and strong case for why you'd vote yes. So it's a and a deeply subliminal appeal to women, for women to walk in the shoes of Indigenous women to have lost your children, have them taken away from you, and so on. Anyhow, I think it's a very cogent case for voting yes. So on the by the fifth of October, we've raised sufficient funds that we are publishing that open letter mm -hmm. in at least half a dozen ethnic newspapers yep. in, around the country um, as a way of reaching the hearts yep. and the minds of migrant and refugee women. So over the time we've got left, we're just pushing that out wherever we can, both in hard copy, in soft copy, and in these newspapers, <coughs> which tend to be read by older uh, uh, women and men from different multicultural communities. So we'll do whatever we can. All right. Um, so I hope you'll come back after the, the referendum, Mary, to, for a, um, a debrief. It's just been fascinating um, chatting with you. And I'd just like to put to you something Wayne um, has put to me as a, a pretty catchy line, a Helen Haynes and Indi when people say to her, I couldn't care less, she says, if you can't, if you can't care less, vote yes. Do you like that? I, I sort of pretty, I like that, actually. <laughs> yeah. I'll, try, I'll try it See, out at the forum in Geelong tonight. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'll get back to you. But Margot, thank you for the opportunity to talk and I'm more than happy to come back uh, with a debrief and I, I'm, I hope it won't be with a box of tissues. Oh, look, I, I just think, you know, the, the kitchen table thing, the, the community empowerment, now developing into a bit of a, a push for deliberative democracy in local seats. I mean, there, there is a, a yep. lot to be excited about. Um, and, you know, 
the journey's the thing. And if it, if it doesn't work, there, there are a lot of good structural things that have happened in terms of participatory democracy at the grassroots. And, um, yeah, it's, it, I agree. It's, it's very, very important to, 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 to do your best. And if, 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 if no gets up to go, well, you know, we've, we've got a, 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 pretty, a pretty good structure now for, for the next effort, whatever it might be, and... Um, you know, we, we're, we're not ashamed to be Australian. That we're, we're, we're proud that, that the question was put, and um, and we'll um, we'll keep keep working on it. That the, the thing I fear most is is everyone will call each other racist, and, and we'll we'll go back to that that horrible period of of the late of the nineties, really. That that's and I think what I you're think doing the, um, and the the philosophy of the the Yes campaign is is maximizing the chances that best self will um, persist after after the election Margot, the, the I agree that there's a lot to be excited about but I would say um, that if the referendum goes down then I think what a lot of non-indigenous people have to do is work very very hard to support the indigenous people who campaigned yep. Uh, and where not enough Australians supported them. So I think we have to go out of our way and work hard to provide the kind of support and show the kind of love and the respect that was denied them in the actual yeah. vote. Because you and I and Wayne and people who are working, who are door knocking, whatever, non-Indigenous people have no idea of the kind of pain that people would experience amongst Indigenous people if it goes down. Uh, I've, I've been yeah. reading about the kind of toxic feedback. Yeah. We've seen the pile on the, uh, about Marcia Langton who dared to just simply tell the truth. Um, so it's so hard, isn't it? Like, no can throw out all the shit, but... Yeah. Yes, can't even say that there's elements of the No campaign that are racist without being told that they've called all Australians. Right? I mean, it just—it's it, so unfair, well, but it's, it's, it's sort of—it's strengthening in a way if you stick to the yeah. stick to the high road. What, you know, what, yeah. you can. I'm, I'm saying that I'm saying that if it goes down, uh, then um, it's incumbent of us to actually step up. Uh, in a lot of practical and other ways of supporting the people, the Indigenous leadership and communities who wanted to see this voice um, and not just see it as our own disappointment. Yeah, well, what I'd like to see is, um, you know, Albo, you know, taking it up to Dutton. I mean, it's their policy to have a legislated voice. They just never did it while they were in power. And I know it would be very hard for Albo after people vote no to the Constitution to do a, a legislative one, but, you know, that that's one of several ways forward that you, you legislate it and you get it working okay and, and then you put it in the Constitution. I, I don't know. It's all, it's, it'd all be up in the air, wouldn't it? Yep. Well, where there's a will, there's got to there be a way. There has to be. Thank you so much, uh, Mary. And, okay. um, Thanks, Mary. Wow. Um, Thanks, I hope, hope, you, uh, hope you're looking after work-life balance so you get through all right and ready to work on the other side. <laughs> Well, I'll be at the Brisbane Carlton match on Saturday as one way of work life. Oh, balance. excellent. <laughs> well, I'm a Queenslander, so uh, yeah, we're on the opposite side there. Okay. Thanks, Thank Margot. Thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed this Nightfibs podcast. Until next time, goodbye.